0: Welcome to the official podcast of comic Spear and Sci-Fi. Brought to you by Crystal Bright Janitorial, The Brand barber Shop, Greco Printing and Imaging, and Able Ideas. Before we get started, make sure to subscribe to this podcast. And follow comic and Sci-Fi on all your favorite social media apps. Now, on with the show!
1: Hey, this is Mark at the Motor City Comic Con. I have a treat for you. I am here with legendary actors William Daniels and his beautiful wife, Barney, Bonnie Bartlett. How you doing, sir? We're doing
2: fine, thank you. You, you have that lovable voice that everyone remembers. Oh, really? <laughs> well, I guess that's the only one I have, actually. <laughs>
1: I, would, I would like to first start off with one of your first iconic roles from an early film, The Graduate where you played Dustin Hoffman's father. Tell me, what was that experience like working with Mike Nichols and Dustin? Can you elaborate on
2: anything like that? Sure, I remember it was a very pleasant experience. Uh, Mike uh, Nichols is a wonderful director. Uh, Also, he can get you to laugh at any time, unexpectedly. And Dustin was... I was a little old to be his father. There's only nine years difference between the two of us. But they aged me up a little bit, and we did it, and it was a very pleasant experience.
1: Yes. yes. Then what another show I'd like to talk about is St. Elsewhere. You worked on a show with a bunch of brilliant actors.
2: I know. That was such an ensemble. Well, you know, uh, it the writers were so good that the there were a lot of actors around anxious to be on the show, so we were capable of bringing in some very good guests each week, which helped the show a lot. but it was a good show and a very good experience
1: got to work you got to work with a young denzel he's probably the the biggest guy that came out of that show
2: yes <laughs> yes, denzel very fine fellow yeah
1: and and I just recently watched uh Episodes of Heart to Heart, where both of you were in two episodes of that show. You were in the episode where you were stealing a stamp. Uh, it was a it was a stamp collector episode where you were uh, the mastermind behind the theft of a million dollar stamp. Do you remember? I don't remember anything about it. Uh, yeah, I just viewed it, and then Bonnie was just in a, was in an episode where she killed her husband.
3: I'm always killing people.
1: Yeah, I always said those hearts always had they had bad luck because everyone around them was getting kidnapped, extorted, or killed. <laughs> but they were fun to work with.
3: Uh, Bob Wagner and Stephanie, terrific people, wonderful to work with. Now, now let me tell
1: you. Let me ask you now about a little bit about your experience doing the voiceover on Knight Rider, like. Now, obviously, you weren't probably on set. You basically did everything in
2: a sound studio. Am I correct on it? That? That's right. Actually, we never met, uh, David and I, uh, until the Christmas party <laughs> of the show, since it was a successful show, and they had a Christmas party. But uh, it was an interesting experience. I, uh, When they first told me, they sent me a script, and I thought, This is a car and it talks. That's the craziest thing I ever heard. It turned out to be a big hit. (laughs) Exactly. And that's what that's what you end up being known for. Yeah. So much do I know about these things. It's a guess. It's always a guess what's going to be good and what's going to be bad. <laughs> okay, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but real quick, I would like to speak with your wife real fast. Now, you
1: worked on the film Salem's Lot. You were playing Bonnie Bedelia's mother. Now, that movie had was one of the most, uh, sca- probably the scariest made-for-television movies ever made. Now, did you, have you, did you, do you ever go back and watch that film?
3: No, I don't. I don't, no. I'm not a horror fi- fan fan. Yeah.
1: Uh, but uh, I was just a big fan of that film, and...
3: Uh, and she was in that, Andrew too. Anders, who worked with... Yeah. Bill, I'm Bill. saying elsewhere, yeah. great actor, yeah. great actor.
1: Yeah. Well, those were really joyous times. The 70s had been a great time to be working in Hollywood.
3: Yes, it was. I was, I was very lucky because we moved from New York uh, in 1973, and I had been raising two boys, and Bill had been working in the theater, and, I, and we came here, and I... I never thought I'd, and I never stopped working. When I, I, I just fit in, I was already 45, but I just fit in everywhere, everywhere. You know, I have a book, you want to, I'll push my book. This, uh, this is a card, and it's a, uh, it's a book called Middle of the Rainbow. It's just out. And, uh, yeah, check on that. So, it's a good book.
1: Thank you very much. William, Bonnie, it was a pleasure speaking with you, pleasure meeting you. And I hope you have a good con and have a good, have a good one. And this is, this is Mark at Motor City Comic Con with the Night Rider kit.
0: Hey, it's the Bradcast and I am at the Motor City Comic Con 2023 spring edition. And I am here with Danny Jacobs. Danny, how are you? Hello, I'm great. How are you doing? I mean, who wouldn't be great here, right? You have got it exactly correct. You do the fun job. You do the job I want to do. How, how, how did you get into voiceover work?
4: I uh, fell into it. No. Uh, I, uh, I studied acting uh, in college, and I did theater for like 12 years. And then I started do, uh, auditioning for commercial voiceover work. And then when I moved out to L.A. Uh, to pursue film and television, I kept pursuing voiceover work and I finally kind of got my foot in the door in animation with uh, King Julian
0: it's it's got to be is it as fun to do as it is to listen to uh,
4: probably it's probably more fun in some cases uh, because the voiceover community is a, a group of very wonderful people and they're all very ex- extremely talented and hilarious so when we do group records, Uh, There's nothing more fun that I've ever experienced than doing a group record Especially when I was working on uh, shows like Penguins of Madagascar for Nickelodeon and All Hail King Julian We would do group records John DiMaggio, Jeff Bennett, Kevin Michael Richardson, James Patrick Stewart, myself um, And it just, when you get those guys in a room together it's just like you're cracking up for four hours, and they somehow edit it and make a show out of it. And so
0: it's just amazing. Do you find during these these constant laughing fests that you get you you tire out the muscles in your diaphragm that are making you laugh? I had sore abs for sure. One of the, some of the best abs
4: ab workouts I've ever gotten were those sessions. <laughs> so yeah, I recommend it.
0: So comic cons. What's what's your favorite thing about
4: coming to uh, Comic Con? Connecting with the fans, because you know, um, there's just no other way to really connect. You know, I mean, this is the best way where fans know where you are, you know where they are, and you get to meet them and say hello to them and thank them and like and vice versa. So that's got to be the best part. You know.
0: Any uh, any non-secret projects you can tell us about coming down the pike?
4: No, no, I don't. I don't have anything that I can
0: reveal at this point. Fair enough um i 'm not going to ask you who your favorite character is because that 's like asking who your favorite kid is, and you 're always going to alienate somebody. but outside of your work, do you have a favorite um, animation character that you like to watch for your own pleasure? I mean, I
4: grew up watching Bugs Bunny, so that was Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, and all of the Mel Blanc characters and then and then I started getting introduced to all the Dawes Butler characters. I mean, I grew up on this stuff. I just didn't know who those guys were. But I was always trying to imitate those voices. So not only are they the most entertaining to me, they inspired me to this career. And without me even knowing I was being inspired to do it.
0: Well, I do appreciate the fact that you've taken the time to talk to us. I do admire, I do admire your work. Um, I, I'm gonna ask you one other question. Uh, do you have a preference over um, regular uh, voiceover for a character or for a video game?
4: Um, I like them both. They're really—it's just kind of you know, picking picking better from good. But uh, but I do like uh, if it depends on if I can uh, group group record. Uh, I've done video games like the video the Marvel Avengers game was fun to do. I played Hank Pym and. Um, that was a uh, full-body mocap, so we, it's more like theater where you actually get to interact with the a- other actors. You're wearing you're wearing cameras and mics. And you get to look in their eye and play off of each other. Uh, or in the studio, if I'm doing an animated project, um, as long as I'm group recording, I'm super super happy. And even if I have to record by myself, I'm like I'm still pretty happy because I'm working. But uh, but yeah, there's no substitute for being able to have that give and take between actors. You know,
0: that's the only thing. That's the only thing I've always wondered is how tough it is when it's only you and the engineers, is you don't really have that same interaction that you do with the group record. So it's nice that you have that ability to to have the community while you're doing it plus multiple takes from laughing your butt off.
4: Exactly. And um, the engineers are great because the engineers and the writers and the showrunners, they're, they're our audience behind the glass in the studio. So even though it's not like theater where you have an audience and you can hear, it's a little bit like that because you you do get a reaction. You just kind of see it out of the corner of your eye. And it, when when I used to see you know, uh, you know, the writers on Penguins of Madagascar, if I if I saw them do this and or just put their head down, I just see their shoulders shaking. That was like gold for me. It's like it's like I know I'm doing my job if I can make those people in that room. And the engineers, if I can make them crack up, then I'm doing my job, you know? So, yeah, it's amazing.
0: All right. Well, thank you again for, for chatting with me. I, I do appreciate it. This has been the Bradcast. We'll see you next
5: time. Tony. Yes, sir. Thanks for coming to Detroit. First of all, oh, you having fun here at the Holder City Comic Con? It's quite, it's quite a thing. It really is, yeah. And I'm happy to be. I'm really, and I just was talking to a, a Red Wing fan, and I told him that I was talking to Chris Chelios last night, and he went big, so I'm, I'm in over here. I know what to say. <laughs> That's awesome. Now, how did you get taxi? What does it mean to you to have landed that series? Well, you know, I, I, uh, I was a prize fighter, and uh, I had a fight on a Friday night. I broke my hand. I was in a cast. And a big black guy. I won the fight, but I got beat up. I got beat up a little bit. And my and uh, by some miracle of miracles, that Monday I ended up in Jim Brooks, James L. Brooks's office, who was casting, uh, was auditioning Mandy Patinkin for Judd Hirsch's part, for the part of Alex. And I went in, and they sent me in, and and it was the part was written for an Irish heavyweight named. Phil Riot. <laughs> and so they saw me. I had a cast on my hand, a bloody, a black eye. I, I looked like a fighter, and I got the part. So <laughs> that, that's really what happened. Is that one of the greatest ensembles in the history of television? I I, I really do think so. I think uh, I think you know there there were politics involved in the fact that it didn't last any longer than five years. But you know, the other day, I I've been dating a girl and she likes Taxi, so I said, ah, I don't come on, I don't, she put it on. I watched 19 episodes, <laughs> I couldn't stop. I just said, oh, it's so good, let me see another one." Oh, you know, so I really think Highly of the show. And you know, it's one of the greatest groups of friends. We still see each other, we all, we get together on a Zoom every month. We, uh, whenever, I played uh, the Carlisle last week in New York City, and uh, Chris Lloyd, and his wife came, Jud and his wife came, and then Carol met us, and we, had, we met on Sunday, and we were on Columbus Avenue at my friend Manny's place, and um, they took a picture, and it got like 10,000 views. People were crazy over it, so, yeah. yeah. It's just a great group of guys, a great, great group. But no, I just love them, so. A lot of actors would kill the land taxi. You follow up taxi with who's the boss. Come on, one-two punch. I was pretty fortunate, yeah. It's a pretty fortunate run, that's for sure. And, you know, you're right about that. You know, Hollywood, uh, it's based on pe- new people. It's based on people getting a break. But not everybody gets a break like Taxi. That's the difference. And I think, you know, I'm really grateful for that. And and just to be to be proud of being part of that, you know, it's something that I'm really proud of. One more question. Sure. I'm watching Friends. Phoebe talks about the Elton John song. They're like the Tony Danza song. She sings it. Did you see that? What was your reaction? Well, you know, that's been going on now for a long time. And, and you know, as you know, recently Elton John actually sang it with Tony Danza in the Lyra. Uh, he and Phoebe, uh, he and uh, uh, Courtney Cox and Ed Sheeran, they got together and sang it. With Elton John, and he actually sang the right—you know—he sang the right words. <laughs> That's awesome. So it's been a long. This thing has been—it's uh, been—it's—it's—it's it's, it's kind of crazy <laughs> that you know it, it became such a big thing, you know. Uh, because if you remember, like you say, Phoebe, they say uh, she says my favorite love song is that—that that song about the guy from Who's the Boss. <laughs> and they're like, "What are you talking about?" So it's pretty cool. It's really. Well, thank you for your time, and congratulations on your career. Absolute pleasure meeting you. you got a good-looking cameraman. <laughs> I'm turning to the ropes. So. <laughs> thank you very much. Okay, guys, appreciate it.
1: Hey, this is Mark at the Motor City Comic Con. I'm here
6: with wrestling legend Mick Foley. How you doing, sir? Hey, I'm doing great, and I'm having a great time here, right here, at the Motor City Comic Con. So when you got
1: started wrestling, uh, you uh, it was back in the '80s. What what was
6: what was wrestling like for you back then? Well, it's changed quite a bit, but it had changed by the '80s. It had changed quite a bit from what people uh, had grown up on. So it's constantly changing. But one thing that does not seem to be changing is that the fans have an appreciation for hard work. And I'm so happy to say that a lot of the children I meet at these cons were not even born when I was doing my thing in WWE. So You're
1: primarily known for three main characters. Cactus Jack, Mankind, and Dude Love. Now, when you get fans coming up to you, can you tell what kind of fans, What which
6: one of those characters they're big fans of? Well, unless they specifically have a Dude Love shirt on or are giving off a flower power type of vibe, I jump to the assumption, even though I know that's dangerous to do, that they're going to like Mankind the most. is why I bring the Mankind mask and we throw in the bonus photo so you not only get a photo with me but of uh, one of the characters.
1: So Mankind was probably your most popular character?
6: My checkbook says so.
1: <laughs> it seemed like it would be the most fun.
6: It was, it was a lot of fun, especially the stuff I did with Dwayne Johnson. When I say my checkbook, I mean my biggest matches in WWE were as Mankind.
1: What were some of the, what was your favorite matches you've had?
6: Well, uh, we're coming up on uh, uh, anniversary of uh, one of the matches I had, Dude Love and uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin. That was May 31st, 1998, so we're celebrating 25 years, and June 28th. 2023 will be celebrating the 25th anniversary of the cell. So those are two of my favorites, and it's cool that we have anniversaries that coincide with them. Do
1: you ever show up at the at the latest like events uh, for the the, the, the wrestling uh, um, competitions or anything like
6: that? Do you still show up? Uh, the last time I went to uh, an event was when I was asked by Stacy Keebler to induct her into the WWE Hall of Fame. That was a lot of fun. Prior to that, I had gone uh, to a SmackDown event for The Undertaker's retirement. So uh, I've, I've made, I think, three WWE appearances in the last four years, but you can catch me every Sunday night as one of the hosts of WWE's Most Wanted Treasures on A&E, and that's a lot of fun, and it's been very gratifying.
1: Well, We don't want to take up too much of your time, Mick. It was a pleasure speaking right. with you.
6: Thanks, man.
1: Have a nice day. And this is Mark at the Motor City Comic Con with The Legend.
0: Hey, it's the Bradcast. And I am here at the Motor City Comic Con Spring Edition 2023. And I am here with the much sought after and much esteemed... (laughs) Yeah, how about that? (laughs) Author of the Journey Mission series... Holly Ash. How are you, Holly?
7: I am doing great. How are you?
0: I'm doing fine. Good. Um, You have uh, some three books in a series, and I love the premise. Why don't you tell us about it?
7: Sure. So it's kind of got like Star Trek vibes, but it's underwater. So we're talking submarines and underwater colonies, and each book in the series follows the female-led combat team on one of their missions. And the stories take place on this planet Neophia that was colonized by humans 300 years before the story starts. So a lot of the drama and tension comes from how much influence humans should have over this planet and the intelligent species on this planet. So we get a lot of political tension and war coming from those that.
0: And they have real snazzy uniforms. I see there is also there is a, a red and a green version so it's it's nothing like Star Trek at no, all. No, not at all. Um, and the, the logo, nothing like Batman at all. <laughs> now, just to be fair to Holly, I, I need to say this for everybody to see is she didn't draw the pictures, she just wrote the books. Also, good news. Tell me what's the best news about uh, about this series, Holly.
7: It is available on audiobooks.
0: Huzzah! Save my eyes, use my ears, hooray. Um, I'm very excited about that Thank by the you way.
7: Help. Thank you. Uh, do you come to a lot of comic cons? I do. I try to. I've been coming to Motor City for about four years now. Um, I try to hit a lot of the local ones in Michigan as many as I can. I love getting out, meeting the fans, connecting with the readers, talking to people. So I love these events.
0: Okay. Um, Kirk or Picard? Kirk. What? What's your favorite Star Trek movie? Uh,
7: I see. I like the new ones. I like... Uh, you like Chris Pine. I like Chris Pine. Well, who doesn't like Chris Pine? I mean, but I, I love the new ones. Um, I watched a lot of Voyager growing up, so that was, that was kind of where I was. Um, and then I watched, you know, things like Sequest is what inspired my series. So anything I could get my hands on like that, I was all about it.
0: I really look forward to reading this, Holly. Um, what's What's next?
7: What's next? Um, I have one more book in the Journey Mission series that I'm hoping to get out next year, Um, and then I'm working on another trilogy with a widowed mom main character in a sci-fi, we don't get to see that a lot, Um, with a bubble um, colony looking at pollution and memory loss and a lot of things to play with there and a lot of family dynamics in that one.
0: Pauly Shore Biodome Inspired?
7: Maybe. I've not actually watched that. I'm aware of it. I haven't seen it. I've read it. So
0: you're in I need to do some research. Your instincts were perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Mr. Shore, but really. <laughs> Holly, tell me how you got started as a writer.
7: So I started um As a young teen writing fan fiction for the 90s TV show Sequest DSV, I wanted to live in that world. So I made my own characters and I put them in. And I wanted to see that female representation in those stories. So those characters always kind of stuck with me. So as I got older and they got older with me, I pulled them out of my fan fiction and gave them their own submarine underwater world to live in and play in.
0: So... How long does it take to to um, uh, take a rocket to uh, Neofia?
7: Um, we have some we have some portals. I do a lot, a little bit of portal technology, so it's you know a couple hours, like flying international. Um, but most of it is going to take place on the planet Neofia in the mega submarines underwater.
0: Okay, and I hope this isn't a spoiler alert, but how is Earth doing three hundred years in the future?
7: They're not doing so great. They um, we're using big air generators to breathe we've gotten rid of all of the vegetation there's a lot of war and famine so it's kind of going to be a mirror image of how Neopia handles war and conflict compared to how earth has handled it
0: you've given this a lot of thought young lady <laughs> I it's i i am very excited to uh, to read this the stories thanks for talking to us That's it for this episode of the Comics, Fear, and Sci-Fi Podcast. Thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time.